Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast. I'm Francis Seedy from Global Net 21. And this is one of the many, many uh, webinar interviews we do. I mean, this one is quite special because we're doing it with some people from the United States of America. And we're doing it at a time when there has been a lot of uh, problems and tragedy around the whole issue of race relations and communities working together. And we've seen recently the tragic death of George Floyd in the United States of America and the impact that has had on not just America, where it's felt strongly, but across the globe. And so in this um, webinar, we're going to talk to some people from the National Judicial Conduct and Disability Law Project about how they perceive the death of George Floyd and how that has had an impact on their mission, if you like, to look at what is a deeper problem, that of structural racism in the United States and that we have here in the UK and it exists in almost every other country. So I'd like to thank you all for coming uh, here today. And maybe Zina first, if I talk to you, maybe you could introduce your colleagues and let everyone know who they are. Thank you so much, Francis. It's a pleasure for, to be here with you um, talking across the pond again. Um, I'm Dr. Zena Crenshaw Logel, and, and um, I think you indicated I'm Executive Director of National Judicial Conduct and Disability Law Project, Inc., which is uh, a U.S. based uh, U.S. legal system uh, reform organization. We're addressing pretty much every aspect of the U.S. legal system dealing with um, uh, accountability for misconduct on the part of the key, key players from, from law enforcement officers to, to court officers. And um, through, through that initiative, we have a, a quite a few projects that we, um, we, we address. Um, I'm, with me is the president of the National Judicial Conduct and Disability Law Project. We call it the Law Project for short. Um, retired Police Chief Gordon L. Weiberg, Jr. <clears throat> but actually <clears throat> addressing the, the topic of uh, George Floyd's death and its impact on race relations in the context of U.S. law enforcement, we're here as part of our uh, uh, program Golden Badge, which is basically uh, a support group for law enforcement officers uh, in the United States. Well, actually international law enforcement whistleblowers, so the, the people are involved in law enforcement who are trying to speak up and, and, and deal with interdepartment misconduct. So in that capacity, we're here. And Chief Weiberg is the chairperson of what we recently started, Project Blue Sky um, uh, course, uh, course correction initiative. It, it's a police reform uh, initiative. Then also, as you can see, settling down is one of our um, task force members, Mr. Maurice Morris, who is a former deputy sheriff in, out of Ohio and a recent candidate for sheriff of Ohio. And again, so our emphasis is today, and we're, we're here primarily today with our golden badge hat on, and more specifically, Project Blue Sky Course Correction, which is a police initiative that we'll be talking about more in detail. 
Okay, well, I'm glad we've got Morris on because if he settled down, I know he's been driving back and he's back in his home now, which, which is great. Morris, the, the, the death of George Floyd has affected, as I said, many people across the globe. Um, you know, you, you're, you've been a, a sheriff, a deputy sheriff. How do you think it's impacted on race, rela race relations in America? How has it sort of affected you and others? Um, well, it has affected me. Um, just as um, a private citizen, um, negatively. Um, as a former police officer, uh, it has affected me the same. And ba basically here in Ohio, in Toledo, uh, where I'm from, um, it has been, it's been hard. It's been something that we've been dealing with for so many years. And we can go back from 1915 when we've asked, stop killing us, up until the death of George Floyd. And that's been the, the, the conversation um, in the black community for decades. Uh, so watching his death um, has caused us great pain across this country. And has it surprised you um, that, that it's not only had an impact in the United States, but it's spread across the world because they also have their problems about the relationships between races and the structural racism there is. Has it surprised you how it's sort of taken off? Well, yes, it has, because for so many years, uh, decades, uh, you know, black men, black people have been dying at the, uh, at the hands of law enforcement. Um, so in a way it surprised me, in a way it did not surprise me, but I didn't expect for it to go global. And now that it has, uh, we have now the opportunity with this massive voice to ask for justice and change. Well, um, you know, as, as a deputy sheriff, what sort of complaints have you had about um, the sort of discrimination that the black communities have faced? I mean, I'm sure you could go on for hours, but give us a couple examples. Well, the, uh, a couple of things is um, white police officers in the black community uh, and, you know, some of the things I've heard is uh, they don't know us, they're not from our neighborhood, um, and they don't like us, and they show us, um, and they get pulled over, they get arrested for the most mundane of things, walking while black, working while black, cutting my grass while black, and it only seems to happen in brown and black communities. So some of the complaints that I've heard uh, from some of the citizens here in Lucas County, um, from the black community, are those things. Um, it's, it's like that they are um, uh, targeted just for the harassment by uh, police officers, especially white, mainly white police officers. Okay, so Zena, maybe we could just take it up from there because I mean those are sort of um, sort of comments about what people complain about, but in a way they sort of underline, don't they, a sort of institutional racism, a structural racism, and you know the death of. Of George Floyd, however tragic that was, and it was, um, in a way, it can take your mind away from the whole element of structural racism, and that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, actually, I think that um, the the circumstances of, of Mr. Floyd's death, the notorious circumstances, um, as you say, is it's brought race relations in in the United States arguably to a breaking point, but it, it can be a catalyst for considering the structural uh, racism that you talked about, because it's triggered a, a mass reflection on where we are as a nation. 
particularly how our, our governance, how, how, how we go about governing, how that reconciles or our lines up with the Bill of Rights and the premise that all humans are equal, that that's part of our US Constitution. Now, uh, of course, for centuries, African-Americans weren't any part of that equation of um, the Bill of Rights and, and, and the proposition of uh, being human and, and, and equal with all other humans. Um, and, but a lot of time has passed. We've had a lot of progress with regard to race relations in, in the United States. Um, people are quick to point out that uh, President Obama, we've had an African-American president. So a lot of people are wondering why it is that we get back to this dark time in America, this harsh truth of, uh, when even under our constitution, uh, African-Americans weren't considered 100% uh, human. They, a lot of people wonder why we get back to those type of consideration every time an African-American dies in our country uh, as part of a highly publicized um, interracial killing. Um, and, you know, what I want to emphasize, if I could, uh, Francis, is that this task force in, that, that I mentioned in our introduction, our, our Project Blue Sky course correction, we, um, our members are, are here more to report the views and concerns of people who are asking and answering questions about relation, race relations in our country um, and, with, and in the context of, of US law enforcement. So um, we're not, as a task force, we're not trying to promote any particular view our concern. Um, we have personal views. Uh, 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 we're not uh, here as advocates, even though our members are advocates with regard to race relations and, and U.S. law enforcement. But um, what we what we're tapping into, insofar as our background, is the fact that as professional good government advocates and social justice advocates, we monitor these views and concerns across the country. And um, we want to share them uh, so that people can understand what, what, what the conversation is, what the thought process is, how, how we're being impacted by now this high profile death of, of George Floyd. And then we are going to express what we think about um, the sentiments, the prevailing sentiments, primarily through um, our recommendations uh, to improve race relations uh, in the context of U.S. law enforcement. Okay, so, I mean, you, you, you obviously set up the project, the legal project that you're involved in to try and address some of those questions and look at the deep background. Gordon, yes. I mean, you're, you're, you were a, a chief, uh, chief constable, we call them in the UK, but you were a chief. What made you, I mean, it would surprise people, what made you get involved in this law project, having come from the police background that you did? Well, thank you, Francis, and thank you all for, for being here tonight or this afternoon, depending on where you are in, on the planet. Um, actually, I, I don't think it's surprising that I'm here at all, Francis, because as a police officer and police chief, my main mission in life was to, as corny as it may sound, to help people, to be helpful in in the public service way of going out there and doing something that can help the public good. In that way, of course, I spent uh, almost 40 years as a law enforcement officer 
all over the United States, um, and in fact, uh, uh, through a couple of foreign countries. And I found through several sides of it that there's anger and emotion on all sides. It's not just one side, it's both sides in this case. There have been African-Americans who have been killed, some wrongfully, by law enforcement officers. There have been law enforcement officers killed by African-Americans as well. And there's anger and resentment on both sides. And I've seen that for years and have done what I could from my little place, my little corner of the world. And now I, I think it's, it's really wonderful. I'm excited, to be honest, about this task force that we have assembled the likes of, sub, of subject matter experts, such as Maurice and Zena, to be here with us today. Uh, you know, given the fact that you, you've been in several areas um, as a policeman, and you found this anger that you said on both sides, how do you think in the organization you're in, the Law, law Project, you can address this anger on both sides? How can you sort of try and bring people together? What we've assembled, Francis, with the task force is a number of SMEs, subject matter experts, who have different backgrounds. We've got African-Americans, we've got whites, we've got Jews, we've got doctors, we've got professors, we've got law enforcement officers. So we've got a smattering of people who have a lot of experience and a great deal of expertise on all sides of this issue. I believe that we can come out and publicize a report uh, at the end of the project here in 30 to 60 days, we would like to go ahead and come out with a report which will, I think, be credible with both sides. The law enforcement officers will have reason to buy into it, and the African Americans will have reason to buy into it because we will have supported our objectives at that point. But um, what, are, what is the issues that you're trying to address then in this report and the work you do that you think can achieve what you just said you'd like to achieve? We've so far identified seven different issues that we're going to be focusing on. Think of them as focus areas. The big ones, quite frankly, are, of course, race relations. But the race relations goes through almost like a thread through all of the other areas as well. Use of force is a big one. Constitutional rights is a big one. The uh, public relations and community relations that law enforcement, and I would submit to you, the remainder of government follows by very closely in this with the, with the community relations they have with all members of the community. Those seven areas and several others in depth that we're looking at, we have identified as, for example, the equal treatment for equal people. That we want equality and justice for all 
to be more than just words on statues. We want them to be actual practice on a day-to-day -day basis. And for that reason, we're going to look at three levels in each of these seven areas. We're going to look through an advisory board that we've appointed. We're going to look at the present state of law enforcement in that focus area, what's going on now. We're going to look at the likelihood of law enforcement to accept significant change or modification in this focus area. That's going to be a sensitive category. And then finally, as Zena alluded to, we're going to come out with recommendations to law enforcement and the community as to what can we do to alleviate and mitigate these issues and increase the quality of life, not only in the African-American community, but in all communities. I mean, one of the issues that you mentioned to me some time ago, Zena, was that um, in America, and it's not just in America, it's here as well, that we, we're sort of having a, a culture of over-criminalization. Um, and that's done for all sorts of reasons, to keep people out of the way, and, and it discriminates against minorities most of all. I mean, do you want to tell us what you, you mean by that, and what, whether that's one of your goals, to try and get legislators to understand that that's what they're doing? Yes, and, 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 and that brings out the fact that the law project looks at every aspect of the U.S. legal system, which includes legislators, um, the role of legislators, and, and because they're uh, uh, producing these statutes, and there's a common complaint that, you know, it's, it's illegal to do, for private citizens to do so many different things. We've got a lot of law on the book books and, and, and a lot of times, it, uh, in fact, I've even heard at any given moment, people are unknowingly violating some, 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 um, some provision of law. And, and, and that, that creates, a, a, you know, a, a arguably a police state where there's, there's an over-involvement of, of law enforcement and, and um, over-prosecution. And of course, the United States is, is notorious for its, its mass incarceration, um, you know, for a country that, that, that is the beacon of, of freedom. Um, you know, we incarcerate more people than anyone else in, 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 the, um, in the world. But one of the things that our task force has already done is we, we've, um, we've, we've looked at some areas for proposing uh, reforms. And we think that uh, the work we're going to do insofar as uh, proposing uh, adjustments be made is going to help all Americans uh, perceive the U.S. law enforcement officers uh, in their community primarily to, to protect and serve. So this over-criminalization, the fact that, you know, already with regard to our entire population, our entire country, there's a sense that there's too much, too much been criminalized in our country. Um, the, the, the residents of um, poor urban communities, which are largely African-Americans and Hispanics, um, we've already uh, preliminarily determined that there is a perception of, among that population um, that law enforcement is not in their community to protect and serve. It's more, you know, more of a crime um, prevention and crime fighting in these poor urban communities. And, and so you have uh, 
largely African-Americans and Hispanics, feeling more harassed and, and repressed and subject to being arrested, if not killed, uh, more than protected and served by U.S. Uh, law enforcement. So, so that's, it uh, starts off again with, you know, so many di different things being a crime. And then you've got, you know, we've, we've determined, a, uh, you know, too much of a focus in these poor communities on crime prevention and crime fighting. And as a result, um, at least preliminarily, we're going to, we, we're reaching the conclusion that, that these communities are not feeling protected and, and served. They're more feeling, um, you know, repressed, harassed, and, um, you know, yeah. uh, at risk. I mean, Morris, maybe I can ask you, because you've been down in the front line on the street, you've been a sheriff. I mean, to, to, to get to a situation that redresses what Zena's just said, it's the change in culture in the police, isn't it? I mean, that's an uphill struggle. Can you ever see the police, um, you know, not just thinking they're in a fight in a containment situation, but they're going to enable and help and do good as Gordon would like to do? Um, I could see that, but we first have to address a few things, and I need to digress for a minute. And um, as Dr. Uh, Logo said earlier, we have to go back to the culture, and the culture has changed, has to change. So uh, we have to look at uh, the slave patrols. We have to look at when blacks became police officers, they could not arrest white people. We have to look at law enforcement looking at black people as three-fifths of a person. That has not gone away. That is still part of the culture of law enforcement. So we have to change the culture in order for law enforcement to connect to impoverished communities of black and brown people. I've had relatives, uncles, my father. Uh, I'm from a law enforcement family. Uh, my uncles would tell me when they became law enforcement officers, uh, way back in the day that they could not arrest white people. And this is in Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm from. And some of the things that they had to endure as law enforcement officers because their white colleagues would not accept them as law enforcement officers because they still viewed them as three-fifths of a person. So what first has to change is the culture. Once the culture across law enforcement changed, then we can have this connection or this relationship, positive relationship in impoverished communities black, of black and brown people. Okay, but uh, Gordon, you, I mean, you were, you were a chief and part of your responsibility, I guess, was to help change that culture. But did you find you were facing an uphill struggle all the time to do that and that you could not do it alone? The only place, Francis, where I found an uphill struggle is in trying to encourage people to understand that if we're going to change culture, then we need to change it at the cultural level and not at some professional level. In other words, how the doctors treat you does not change the culture of America. How the cop on the street treats you does not change the culture of America. It's actually just the opposite. It's the culture of America that drives that treatment from the police officer or the doctor. So if we're talking about changing the so-called 
culture of, of law enforcement, and I'll push back on that a little bit because the culture of law enforcement is something far removed from anything we're discussing. The culture of America, of the United States, is what, if anything, needs to change. Now, let me talk about scope just a little bit, is there are right now right around 750 law enforcement officers in the United States. In guess how many police agencies there are in the United States? 750,000. 750,000. 750,000 law wow. enforcement officers in the United States. In almost 20,000 law enforcement agencies, 20,000 police departments, each of which has a policy book, procedures, a chief, a city council or a county commission that runs it, and certain industrial standards that we try to govern those agencies to get them going in the same direction. But there's 20,000 police departments out there. Now, I can tell you in the nine that I worked in in my career, I, I'll be honest with you, I never had any African-American officers who couldn't arrest white officers or white people. I never had the problems that uh, Maurice and others have voiced that they have had in the past or some even currently. So those areas and those practices, we need to attack. We need to attack them aggressively and stop them. But once they are stopped, once those practices are mitigated, then we need to ask for the fairness of current assessment to say, look at us today, don't always look at us in the past. But from what you're saying, Gordon, um, you're saying that culture change isn't enough. There has to be political change as well. And when you've got, you know, so many police agencies, so many states, so many municipalities, where do you start? Do you do it top down? Do you have to do it from Congress and the president? Or can you work individually with the states and with the mayors and the municipalities? And if you've got to do that in that long, grinding, exhaustive way. There are people and movements right now that advocate a global change immediately through revolution or such things. The risk of that is that we're complaining right now that the pendulum has pegged one way and over here we abuse people and treat people in disrespectful manners, sometimes to the termination of their lives. Clearly that's wrong and that pendulum needs to come off that wall. The risk is if we bring it off too aggressively and too quickly, it'll peg the other way. And we will have a society where the culture is no longer in control of itself 
and there is, in fact, anarchy in the streets. So the law project has the capability now, I believe, through these subject matter experts that you see, I believe has the capability to bring that pendulum to a balanced point in the middle where not only do law enforcement officers treat African-Americans with respect, but everybody treats law enforcement officers with respect as well. So what you're saying, and, and I think this is something that I think you were alluding to earlier, Zena, and, and that is there seems to be a lack of governance in the United States of America. There is here, I think, as well, and I think there is in many countries because we've seen the politics change so dramatically in every country. If there's a lack of governance, I mean, where are you focusing your, your activity on? Um, is it on Congress? Is it on the president? Is it where? One of the places that we need to begin, and this, this broadcast is an important part of, of our effort, is we need to help the American people recognize, because right now the tension is between the individual law enforcement officer, the person who's getting out of his, 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 his or her vehicle and entering into um, interacting with a, a member of the community, and if it's a poor urban community, is likely going to be an African American or a Hispanic. And right now, there's a wide perception that the problem is racial animus or whatever regard that those two people have with uh, as 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 it relates to to the other. So if it's a white law enforcement officer um, interacting with an African American, particularly a young black male um, uh, of a well, particularly young black male, I was almost going to uh, link social economic. But if you bring in those dynamics, white law enforcement officer, African American male, right now that there's a, a large perception is that is the core of our problem. You get you you the 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 law enforcement officer is a racist and the law enforcement officer perceives me uh, me as African-American person as less than human and a, a criminal. Um, what we need the general public to start to understand is those dynamics, even though they're very much impacted by the personal views of the law enforcement officer, the personal views of, of the person in the community, and we need to work um, on our culture such that there's less, you know, racial tension. Um, how, what plays out in that interaction so, is so much a reflection of our culture in general and also um, structural issues, racism, um, our, our governance, how we go about um, policing our practices and policies in this country. And, 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 and right now, uh, the general population is, is, is not focused on those areas, the extent to which they're problematic, the extent to which they, they need to be changed. Um, we're just mad at each other. You know, we're, we're just, um, you know, the law enforcement officers are, resent, are resentful and angry. The African-American community is, is resentful and, and angry. And too much of it is, is focused at each other. So we, we need to, to um, begin with 
getting a new perspective with regard to the individual population, um, and then have them join us as we look at pra uh, uh, practices and policies uh, um, uh, with regard to law enforcement in this country. We make a determination as to, to how you know, they need to be changed. We'll make recommendations, and then we'll go to Congress, we'll go to our uh, president, we'll go to our governors and get their buy-in. But, you know, to stop that anger that you see between people of different races for whatever, some people would argue you won't do that until you solve the structural problems. There are more black people unemployed as a percentage of the population than white. As you just said, there are more black people in prison uh, in a country which incarcerates more people than anyone else. Black people probably die younger than white people and so on. And until you deal with those, won't black communities say we have a right to be angry? Well, what happens is, you know, changing the hearts and minds of individuals, you know, is a, is, is a lifelong commitment, is a, is a societal issue. Um, and ultimately there's some hearts and minds that can't be changed. What we need to have happen is um, if any of our individual views um, are inconsistent with what the law provides, our constitutional rights provide, what our codes of ethics provide, what our policies and procedures provide, um, that these people can be held accountable. And, 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 and the fact that um, there seems to be inadequate accountability or there's a lack of confidence in how um, our legal system goes about dealing with allegations of misconduct, our brutality, our um, you know, uh, race-motivated interactions between uh, civilians and, and law enforcement. That, that, that helps, that makes, you know, the personal um, animosities e even worse. So, um, again, you know, it's, yes, we hope to, to uh, have better race relations. We hope that in, in, in people getting to know each other, you know, we, we become more empathetic, more, more, um, less, you know, having less racial animus on a, on a personal basis. But, but really assuming that, that there will always be some level of, uh, you know, race anim racial animus, unlawful discrimination. Our big focus is on making sure that our legal system deals with it properly, minimizes it, bring, minimizes bringing people that have those perspectives into law enforcement, um, then to the extent that they uh, maximize the prospect of people who have that type of animus um, being weeded out of uh, the ranks of law enforcement if they can't keep it in, in check with the law, um, and, and then holding accountable those incidents that ultimately um, the, the law enforcement response was, was unlawful or uh, inconsistent with codes of ethics. I, and I agree with what uh, Zima has said, but I, let me boil it down to a little bit simpler equation um, than the good doctor does. Um, to me, it comes down to the perceptions of people on both sides, law enforcement and the African-American uh, community some of which are valid and correct and, and accurate, and some of which aren't. Now, there's an argument that perception is reality, and that's what people believe, and that's what they act on. But we can't fight those perceptions and correct any of them without communications. 
I believe that the base comes down to communications between the governing people, the, the cops, the, the city government, the state government, and those communities that feel alienated from law enforcement and from which law enforcement feels alienated and in fear. You know, I can remember there were times in, in North Minneapolis, in fact, where I grew up in the projects where we did not go in there in the 60s, this is a while ago, um, without three or four carloads of cops. You couldn't go in that area unless you had enough officers to drag you back out again. Now, I'm not, I'm not kidding you about that. That's the way that it was. Now, how it is right now, I can't say. Until we were able to communicate with that community that we feared, and they learned that we were not the monsters they thought we were, and we learned that they were not the monsters we thought they were, until we were able to begin working in that and coming together, the cultural change could not happen. So I'm a big believer, Francis, in communication at the chief level, I would walk downtown and talk to people because they needed to see me as the chief or the commander or the sergeant out there and see that I was human, what I felt and what I thought, and I could see the same thing with them. Maurice, did you, in the work you did, manage to achieve some of those things that Gordon's talking about, of getting people to talk together to sort of get rid of their prejudice and then move on from there? Or did you always find when you were in the streets, there was tension and you couldn't do that? I can say from my um, career in law enforcement, um, I made it a point uh, to work in the black and brown community in uniform or not out of uniform, but the majority of my time, it was in uniform volunteering my time at some of the inner city schools and some of the events that would happen on the inner city because it was important for me for black young men to see a black man in uniform um, that was trying to connect with them. So during my time um, um, in the black community uh, doing those events, I would hear from parents and I would hear from some of the young people and they really enjoyed it. Uh, wonderful conversations with teachers and principals and uh, and, as, and I said parents, uh, that they said that it's, this needs to happen more within the black community where we can reach out and touch you. We can reach out and talk to you because the majority of the time we see you guys on bicycles, motorcycles, and cars. You don't get out the car uh, at all. But to have you in our community working at different events all year long helps to break down that per perception that law enforcement is only there to beat black and brown people down. Now, I will, I will uh, comment on, on what Chief Weiberg said about Minneapolis. Uh, there's some places in Chicago and Detroit where police officers, where if they will go into a certain section, that they have to go in with truckloads of officers because of the criminality in that particular section. So I understand um, what you're saying. But back to you, Francis. Um, the, the response was very positive. Mm -hmm. They wanted yeah. to see more officers in their communities. They wanted to see more officers getting out and contacting the public. 
And if I if I if I can um, interject, uh, Francis, um, that's one of the things that that Chief Weiber, uh brought to my attention uh, when during it at one. Um, and Chief, you could you could um, give provide the details. As a chief, regardless of the race of his officers, he would instruct his people to get out of the vehicle and go and interact with the people in the community that they're a part of. And and so what, what my point is, is that so to a certain extent, we think that we're just dealing with the uh, the 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 personal views of those individuals when but what really to a large extent the the relationship the interaction is impacted by uh policy procedure command determination because as a leader chief Weiborg um had the you know it was enlightened enough to make to to realize that part of having a good uh community relationship was this interaction that that uh, maurice talked about but if he didn't see believe that as a leader law enforcement leader, then that wouldn't have happened. So that's, that's I'm, I'm just sort of defending my, my um, position that people need to understand to a large extent how so much of what is happening on the street is impacted by what's happening back in, at headquarters and what's happening in the White House and what's happening in the governor's mansion. And, 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 and um, you know, uh, expand our outcry from just complaining about what an individual law enforcement officer is doing and join us when we go and meet at headquarters and we go and meet at the White House and we talk about police policies and procedures and budgets and that's and 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 how um, officers are deployed and who's deployed and the race background and that sort of thing. Gordon, is that your view that, I mean, you, you talked about accountability and that's very important. We talked about governance, but what Zena was saying, and I, I think what you were saying as well, is we've got to get it right on the street as well. And was that one of your priorities when you were a chief? Yes, but there's more than just the local command and the chief and the policy that drives that. Because I can tell you that I would put out there to tell my patrols to get out and do what Maurice was doing in the communities. One of the things that you may have noticed Maurice said was that he volunteered a lot of his time out there. The problem with that, and it's largely budget-based, is that when I had patrols get out of the car, they'd get a few feet away from the car and beep, 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 a call would come in and they'd have to run off somewhere else on an emergency call because we got that many emergency calls. We're that busy on the street and people try to save money and try to save taxes. So we were losing police officers all the time. And we never had enough officers where I could put some out in the community and still have the capability to answer the calls for service. So if we could get to that point where we have enough law enforcement officers out there to do that, and then you risk the over-policing allegation from many that you have too much, and we're talking about defunding the police now, which is just the opposite. The result of that, unfortunately, is going to be less officers running back and forth, answering even more calls. 
and you will have less people like Maurice able to get out there in the community talking to people. I mean, we're getting very close to the end now because we've gone well over and it's been a really interesting conversation and we could probably go on all evening. But Zena, I mean, it seems to me you're trying to do three things. One is you're trying to influence governments, change that, get people to be, to understand what's going on, to pass the right civil laws, to fund the police properly, um, to um, be accountable as well. Um, uh, and you're also trying to change, um, you know, people on the street and change attitudes as well. So you're trying to change governments, you're trying to change accountability, and you're trying to change people on the streets. So how important is it, do you think, that there should be continual dialogue about what happens on the streets about race? I mean, we've got a famous author in this country who's written a, a best-selling book on why I never talk to white people about race anymore. And since she's written it, she's done nothing else but talk about to white people about race because of the success of the book. I mean, should we be having conversations that try to get rid of our prejudices so we can see under those what the real problems are? We, we definitely should, Francis, I, I believe. And um, you say the goal being get rid of our, our prejudices. I, I think that that would be um, a consequence of us building more empathy for each other, building more empathy for the various perspectives of this, all the major stakeholder groups. And our task force was, was created to, to help all everyone concerned, all the people with all the different perspectives, sift um, fact from fiction. And I, it's our hope that truth is going to help us heal. Uh, even as we confront and determine how best to overcome these ugly realities, you know, the, that, that, that there is racism in the world, that there, that, that there are uh, unethical law enforcement officers, that there are threats to law enforcement um, officers when, when they're on the streets. Um, but we've just got to uh, get people uh, beyond their anger to the point that they're listening to the other side and having some, some empathy. And, um, you know, that because we, whatever we come up with insofar as recommended policies and whatever we take to government, we're going to need public support, community support. And, um, you know, th that's why we, we've got to get uh, the discussion to the point that if people, you know, get to detect that perhaps you're, you're too sympathetic to one side or another, you know, the hearing shuts off. And that's the end of the dialogue. We've got to get beyond that. And Gordon, uh, final question or almost final question. Given the, 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 the furor that we're all facing at the moment, are you optimistic about the future? Oh, I'm absolutely optimistic, Francis. I believe that with the, the quality of people that we have working in this project, the, the, the Maurice's, the Zenas, the people that we have on the task force and the people that we've assembled in our advisory board, I believe that we have the best of the best that have come together and we can argue, debate, talk about, discuss, whatever it is, and in the end, I'm absolutely optimistic that the law project and this task force with Golden Badge is going to bring out a report that will be absolutely golden in the best practice of Golden Badge 
we will have the best possible recommendations for law enforcement. And I'm absolutely optimistic that while it won't be smooth sailing from there, nobody said this was going to be easy. I believe that we can actually accomplish a lot with this and get us going in the right direction. Okay, well, thanks. And Zena, if people wanted to find out more about what you're doing and your task force and all of that and your ideas, where would they go to do that? They would need to just simply visit us on the on our website, www.golden-badge, all one word, B-A-D-G-E, dot org. And that will uh, get you directed to our contact information, our presence on Facebook. So that's www.goldenbash.org. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, you know, for joining us, all of you. That's, um, that's been a really interesting conversation. We could have gone on for a long time. But clearly, the problems you face in America are, are not just problems you face in America. They're problems we face. They're problems we face in Europe um, and around the world. And so the experiences you have, I think, given, you know, the, 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 the immediacy of problems because of George Floyd is helped you to, to, to help us as a way. And, and I think that's really important. So, you know, I hope people will contact you. I hope we'll keep in touch and we we'll do more on this and we'll find out, you know, more about what's going on. But I'd like to thank you all for joining us. So thank you, Gordon and Zena. And thank you, Morris, as well, um, for joining us. That's been great. And, um, you know, we'll do this again in the future. So thanks Please all do. of you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so we'll uh, end this interview now. Mm -hmm.